everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Branvold, and as always, joined by Jay Gilbert. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm warm. Um, it was a little cold this morning, but I, I feel guilty saying that I was gonna from say, don't California to cold. you, that, because that's not real cold. When it's, you know, 38 degrees here, you know, that's probably the high where you're at. Yeah, I was just going to say, let me just see the current temperature right now. Hey, it's above freezing. It's 37 degrees here. Oh, my gosh. I mean, no wonder you're not wearing a jacket. It, exactly. You're probably yeah, going to wear I, shorts today. Last <laughs> week, I kid you not, you put a negative sign in front of that 37. And that's real cold, that's, brother. That, 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 that's, that's real cold. That's cold as hell people cold yeah. as hell um all right so before we get into this week's guest uh just a quick thank you to hypebot and bands in town thank you for everything you do and of course to our sponsors bandzoogle.com built by musicians for musicians bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and epk for your music Banzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscriptions, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and of course, social media integrations. And finally, amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. So we put together a great offer for our listeners. Head over to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. And when you register, use the promo code musicbizweekly, all one word, and you will save 15% off the first year of any subscription. And of course, thank you to discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still such an important role for physical media. Digital royalty payments can be so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, t-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD or t-shirt you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3000 streams to make the same amount of money. And that's a lot of streams. Mm -hmm. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even t-shirts. So head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and you'll save up to $150 in shipping. Nice. So who's sitting down with us this week, Jay? We're going to have a great conversation with Cameron Almasi. Um, he runs Inertia Management. He's an artist management, uh, artist manager, I should say, and uh, a very experienced guy, has some really cool insights on what that means today during COVID and some of the tools that you're learning, we're learning, and that we're going to take with us outside of COVID. Yep. Great conversation. Let it roll. Check out Cameron. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today we are thrilled to be joined with Cameron Almasi, an artist manager. He runs uh, Inertia Management. He's a music festival producer, wears a lot of hats. Cameron, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you guys. 
pretty dope. <laughs> Appreciate and, it. And, and Cameron, before we get into talking about all this other stuff, are you still based in the San Francisco area? No, I'm actually based in, I've been based in Los Angeles for about the last six, yeah, six years, almost seven okay. years. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Jay, Jay's down in LA. Um, I'm up in Sausalito. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, lucky for, uh, I'm actually in the Bay this week specifically. Okay. I'm actually going to SF after this. Uh, oh, okay. So. Michael, you're in Minneapolis, right? Well, I'm so in Minneapolis visiting family, but uh, yeah, I live in live in Sausalito. Lived in San Francisco for I don't know, 15 years, 10 years prior to that. So, yeah, it's it's like a whole it's a whole different world from San Francisco. Oh, across that bridge makes a big difference it's a nice peaceful area like there's no chaos at all it is well, <laughs> I, I you know we don't we don't want to gross out our listeners but the big difference is you go into sausalito compared to san francisco and it doesn't feel like uh the sidewalks have been pissed on for the last yeah. 20 years uh, <laughs> i i the same and i remember my, my one of my friends from los angeles came with me to uh, visit my family one time in like San Francisco and all that. And I take him to San Francisco, and the first thing he sees when we get off the highway and we're like on Van Nuys was literally like an old man with his dick hanging out and like just holding his bicycle, just crossing the bike with his bicycle. Oh my God. The and he's yeah. like, What the heck is wrong with this dude? You don't see this in LA. We got crackheads, but we don't got this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, that's it's nutty. San Francisco, you see everything there, but. Yeah. Um, so, so, so Cameron, you know, the, the thing that kind of really intrigued us is you spoke at a Polestar event about an article, um, did, and I'm assuming it's an article that did you write called The Next Generation Navigates COVID by Reimagining Old Models. Yeah, so no, so Ryan Borba, the managing editor at Polestar reached out to me and was like, hey, I would like to spotlight you. Um, because, you know, I, we met at a Polestar event, luckily, like maybe two years prior to that. And we've always kept in touch. I always told him what I was up to, what I was doing, and like what I'm working on, my thoughts. And he, I guess he felt compelled to say that I had a unique perspective and the things I've been working on, you know, since COVID were compelling enough for him to want to do a write-up about me, which blew my mind because usually Polestar, I feel like, you know, spotlights the people that have already done their thing, you know, whereas yeah. I'm, like, I'm still trying to prove my point, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge opportunity and I, I was really appreciative of it. And, um, yeah, I got to say my spiel, which I think, yeah. Well, you know, Jay and I, since the pandemic hit, I mean, literally within a couple of weeks, we had already had a booking agent and a medical doctor on talking last March of last year, what, could the next year look like and we've come up with updates throughout the last year or so but i'd love to pick your brain i mean like you know the, the whole reimagining old models i mean that's just big it's like yeah you've got a you've got a pivot you've got to rethink and obviously we know live streaming is here live streaming is where it's at you've got to be doing it um but where do you think from now until maybe the next 12 months, beginning of 2022, how is this business going to reimagine itself yet again? Because we know 
it's going to. We don't know what the end result is going to be, but we know it's not going to be the same as it was January of 2020. We're never yeah. going back. And live streaming, yes, we'll be here to stay, but I think as we're all seeing, it's already starting to evolve and people are getting creative with it. And, yeah. you know, it, you know, last year it used to be, well, how do I just sell a ticket to a live stream? Well, okay. We got that down. You can sell tickets anywhere. Every there's, there's plenty of platforms that will go come to your aid to help. But what do you imagine the next 12 months are going to look like for reimagining this business? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think a lot of people definitely pivoted to like drive-ins and live streams when COVID hit. Um, I think live streams, specifically if we're talking in that subject line, it's such a new piece. And I think it's a, it was such a neglected piece for a long time. I mean, think about it, Coachella, like arguably probably the biggest festival in the United States, in the world, would do for free on YouTube. Like people would just be able to watch it if they didn't buy the $250 ticket. And yep see it yeah and i think i mean you know i and, and 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 real quick to that point i remember pre-covid you know there was probably one that i knew of one bigger streaming company out there stage it was yeah. the big company that and and we've all run them on that before pre-covid loved it yeah but before covid just before covid stage it was this close to closing up the doors because people yeah. just weren't utilizing it. And then all of a sudden within one week, their business exploded to the point where they couldn't handle the business. Yeah. And I think it's kind of partially is the music industry's fault because we neglected to monetize on such a crucial value for so long. Like we let it be yeah. a free thing that you could experience if you're not there. Right. And so and consumers, obviously, they think, well, why would I pay ever for to watch a live stream of a show when I can just watch it on YouTube? I could just right. like, you know, look at someone's Instagram live and they're there with their cell phone doing it for me. So I think now as promoters, we're starting to realize, holy crap, there was a whole area that we just neglected all this time. If we could yeah. use that, had we built that out properly, like sports have done like for the last, you know, decades upon decades. That's you know? right. Like look at look at pay per view. Look, Triller, you know, like a music app did the Tyson fight. Yeah, and it was one of the biggest pay per view events in a long time. I think it was like number eight top pay per view of all time. Yeah, I, yeah, so, I think you're absolutely right. We've yeah. as an industry we've neglected it. Now we're not, and going forward, we're going to have another arrow in our quiver, which is phenomenal. But you've also seen all of these other platforms come about like cameo where you can get, you know, Alice Cooper to send your dad a birthday video message or the UK version uh, thrills.co.uk or, you know, some of these Patreon things in a post pledge music world people are starting to understand that there's a demand for all sorts of experiences you know, yeah. we were talking about Kiss earlier and how they were one of, you know, Michael and, and the team over there were so early on with the paid meet and greets. And now there's more experiences where you can, you know, you can get on and co-write with your some of your favorite artists or you can have them record a song for you or a birthday message. And live streaming is just another one of those things, to your point, that we neglected but, you know, we did some shows with Stage It and they were very successful, but we weren't really thinking of it as, okay, when we're doing a tour, 
we on our off days maybe we could do a stripped down live stream you know for either part of a subscription service or a pay thing and i think the last thing i'll say on it is i don't know if the music industry thought that people would actually pay for live streaming and now we're seeing like people like Billie Eilish do things that are just very high production value, you know, Kiss in Dubai, you know, a lot of these things, it's becoming kind of exciting. It is, I think, but I think we still are at such an early stage that we're still trying to figure out the kinks of what ticks and what doesn't. Because I know a lot of live streams that have profited highly and have had insane viewership, millions upon millions of people, 20 millions of people. But I know a lot of live streams have also tanked financially even though it looked really good. Um, so I think it's just like kind of similar to how now I think all the major film studios are realizing they need to cut their budgets because these hundreds of millions of you know, film budgets don't work in the streaming era when you don't have theaters to take, put them on. You know, I think what was a Wonder Woman lost like $75 million. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I think we're just starting to realize that like, less is more in a lot of aspects and we just need to figure out what's going to work. And also user behavior, because I've seen browsers of hip hop work really well on a platform like Twitch, whereas maybe, which is not a ticketed platform, it's a subscription-based platform with ads. But on the flip side, I'm seeing like rock and metal do really well on a platform like, you know, uh, what was the one, Veeps or uh, the other one of, Future stream or something like that. It was Evan Seinfeld from Biohack. Yes, yeah, we we had Evan on talking about his service yeah. a few months ago. They're crushing it on on the ticketed model. I had a I was actually talking to a buddy of mine. I don't know if I should say it, but <laughs> yeah. is a band called Black Veil Brides. Metal oh, yeah. Man, rock yeah. band. And, and and Andy Biersack, good friend. Yeah, yeah. Andy, we had him on the show. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to uh Dan Surf, his manager, for a while, and I was like, he was telling me about their live streams and they were crushing it doing the ticketed model with like the merch store and everything. And I was like, oh, try try the Twitch model. Because I'm more of a hip hop guy now. I haven't been in the rock scene for the last few years. And he goes, well, I would, but you know, it's not guaranteed. Whereas we're making solid money here doing this. Like it's, it's just as good as like if we were playing a show, if not better. Yeah. So I think it really is like, I'm, I've even talked to my buddy at ICM who's, who's spearheading a lot of live streams that said, you know, like, I think it's really, I'm noticing is really demographic, demographic. The older demographic tends to lean more towards ticketed, but like the younger demographic of kids, there's maybe doing subscription models are better. You know, so he's noticing like, it's really that middle ground between like the older and the, the kids, essentially. Like if I, my kids, I mean, like literally like, toddlers practically yeah that, that little age 18 to 24 18 to 35 group is like how do we hit them because they're so different in behavior well is it all about ticket sales because i i noticed like on twitch you know whether it's nfts whether it's um tips you know there's other ways to monetize and i'm wondering if certain genres are better at other types of monetization outside of maybe a pure play ticket sale well, the cool thing with Twitch is that it's a subscription model, you know, so people can opt in if they want to. If not, they, they're going to get hit with ads. And, um, you know, you want some, you lose some there, I guess. But at the same time, it's also got the donation integration, which I'm a huge fan of. I have all my clients when COVID hit, I immediately took them to Twitch, bought them into partnerships. They all love it because it's, 
there was a book that I, I was compelled to read last year because um, Michael Rapino would always say the experience economy. I'm like, what is that? So it's a Harvard Business Review book by Joseph Pine. I read the whole thing. And I just realized that, yeah, fans are really connected, not just to the service of releasing music and the product itself. It's really the experience of it all at the end of the day. And so like, if I can maximize my artist experience of like what they're offering the fans, they're going to just keep winning. Um, well, yeah. let, let me let me ask you to that point because I, I, we're, we're Jay and I both believe completely in in the experience. In, in this day and age, you're not selling music; you're selling the experience that goes around the music. I mean, and and that's that's been proven by just the success of of the VIP ticket programs, where it's like the experience of going backstage, the experience of meeting the artist. That's what you're paying for. Yeah. Um, not necessarily just that eight by 10 photo that you get out of it, but the whole experience that you can go into your job tomorrow and, you know, sit at the lunch table and go, you know what I was doing? I was hanging out backstage with this artist last night because I spent my thousand dollars, whatever. Um, yeah. How is that going to have to evolve and reimagine itself in this COVID world now of, you know, yeah, it's selling an experience, but it's kind of tough to sell a virtual experience. It doesn't have the same value and excitement as actually being there. I 100% agree. And I think, again, like I, I think we neglected to what the definition of experience was for a long time. I think you know, for the longest time, it was just touring. And maybe in the last right. 20 years, festivals really became the experience because we realized, holy shit, we could charge a lot of money for these. And, you know, yeah, because a festival was not so much about the band you were going to see. It was about being there with all the other people. It was the experience of being at the festival. Yeah, and given I'm, I'm born in 95, so my experience of going to shows started in late 2000s like 2009 going to like mayhem festival and all that sort of stuff um but to my knowledge like 90s and before it, it wasn't festivals weren't as big you know there, there was a handful but it wasn't that's that right big. especially in the u.s especially yeah. in the u.s festivals have always been something special in europe and uk i mean i back in 80 87 eight, i can't remember late 80s I flew over to see a friend of mine over in England and I went to Donington, which is where download is now. But oh my, yeah. back then Donington was like the festival of the world. That's, you mm, know, if you massive. were a rock fan, you had to go there. And I constantly remember sitting here going, why the hell do I have to fly to England to do this? Why doesn't the U S have a festival like this? Now, now fast forward to, to now and yeah there's festivals everywhere in the u.s yes yeah. yeah we have one for basically every genre every market every size every shape yep. every form that's right yeah you think about it we have like the small little edm festivals and the big ones to like the hip-hop festivals but, but, but you know I, I you know getting back to this whole topic of reimagining that's got to reimagine itself i mean yeah. just because of what COVID has done yeah. Everything is going to have to get reimagined. And 
and that's going to force the artists and the managers and the promoters to stop taking the low hanging fruit easy way to make a buck you're you're really going to have to start developing and trying new things that have never been done i mean back in 2003 when we did the kiss vip meet and greet those had never been done before never i mean people were floored they're like you're gonna charge fans to go backstage and meet their favorite artist that's disrespectful that's terrible that's un and you know and then you know a year later you know kisses gross like a million and a half dollars selling vip meet and greets right now it's commonplace and everybody wants to do it now so you know are we getting back to that point now where people really have to sit here and go just because it's never been done before doesn't mean it doesn't work we've got to really just try completely new things I, th- I think so. And I think we've already kind of started diving into it. Like Braza, for me with my clients on a management level, it was like, well, what is that? How do I supplement that experience of going to the show? Why do I go to a show? Not, not a festival, but like a club show. Right. Right. I go, when I was growing up, I would go to shows at like DNA lounge or the slims. Right. Sure. Yep. Thing wasn't necessarily going and just watching the performance it was like going to the merch stand. Cause I knew the band was there. Yeah. Exactly. connect with them and that's i think that's a huge factor of touring is just connecting with your fans building absolutely so that they're loyal customers they come back so i the reason i went heavily on like telling my clients you guys got to get on twitch and you got you need to just start streaming being in your room being doing music doing things that they want to see you do because that's them connecting with you and honestly in a lot better intimate way because they could talk directly he could see their chats and their responses and be like oh hey so so did this he could motivate them say hey whoever does this emoji will yeah. you know i will you know do this or that for you know like yeah ways for them to connect now with, with the fans in a more intimate setting in a global setting too so it's like first of a lot of my clients haven't been to europe and you know a lot of my clients that i picked up during covid have a good European following or Australian following. Um, I've seen some of my clients even go do live streams with their fans on Instagram. And you'd be amazed. Like there's kids that I like in India that like stayed up all night just to be able to live stream with my, my artists and be yeah. like, like, I'm your fan. Like your music helped me out so much. I remember specifically one of my clients, Truth, he did that. And this kid from India was like, dude, like you have no clue. I've been up all night. It's you know four in the morning here. I just wanted to talk to you. Your song helped me up out with a breakup. Like I can't tell you enough how much I oh, love that's you. That's great. And yeah. Yeah. I like, I don't think we would have really done those as much, like even before COVID. No. Yeah. And even with performances, I've been noticing on live streams and these are so cool. You're watching a live stream by a band and then there's com- there's a comment section. Right. Yeah. And so every now and then they'll stop and they'll go, oh, Cameron's on. Hey, Cameron, what's going on, bro? You know, and those little shout outs or they'll say, um, I'm going to play you a few notes of the song. You guys tell me what it is. They play it. And then you watch the chat and it's like, nope, that's not it. Oh, well, Michael Branvold got it. That's the one. And there's this interactivity that if you're doing it, it can be really impactful. Almost as impactful is that kid at Slim's at the merch table and the singer for the band said, hey, thanks for coming out. 100%. And look, I think like it's as far as going reimagining old models, I don't think that necessarily means we need to re 
creates or creates something completely new you know i think we've kind of realized like hey there was a lot of platforms out there that we weren't using that we should probably use a lot more of <laughs> yeah and how to and like twitch being a good example it's been around for years but none and i know for a fact they've grown so much on the music end since covid hit what was like a three five-year plan for them is now a three-month plan for them because it's just accelerated so much yeah and you know just goes to show that i think a lot of people realize like wow we weren't utilizing these platforms that we can use now cameo same thing like yes a bit newer of a platform but like you know, it's, it's become that's right when we have <laughs> conversations with artists and managers now it's not all about facebook twitter instagram youtube they talk about twitch and even michael and i you know we've talked about like roblox we've talked about a lot of different areas we always say go to where the party is yeah. and if the party is on twitch make sure you're on on twitch if the party is you know on youtube wherever your audience is it sounds pedantic but you want to be where that audience is i think when COVID first hit i think it, this is my favorite thing about the whole idea of reimagining old models it's like i think a lot of us went in the mindset of we need to innovate and create the new platform the new thing the new tech the new whatever and I don't know. Like I tried it. Me and a couple of friends of mine were all like, Hey, let's, let's see what we can do here. And we, I think they realized it was like, well, wow, it's hard to do that when there's so much that hasn't been done already. That's well, already yeah. I mean, let, let, let's be honest. It's like, all you got to do is go look at like Instagram and Facebook. Hey, they've had live streaming there for quite a while. Yeah. You just haven't been using it. And I think to, you know, you, you are right in that reimagining doesn't necessarily mean, creating something brand new that's never existed before. What, for me, what that means is don't just try and recreate the same experience that you tried to do in a club or on yeah. a stage, because that's, that's where I think we've seen in the long run streaming has lost some of its, its functionality for some artists because all they want to do is do the same show they would have done at Slim's, but now I'm doing it in a rehearsal room and I'm streaming it. And, you know, when, when Jay and I sort of did a recap of the Kiss Live in Dubai, that was the big thing we were talking about. It's like the experience was great, but holy cow, the lack of a crowd, the lack of screaming. You know, I was even saying, you know, somebody like Kiss, damn, just pipe in some fake screams, like the crowd NFL noises, did. because that you know when when Paul Stanley's on stage after a song, let me hear you. You're like, hear who? Hear who? You can't hear anybody because there's nobody Yay. there. So you can't you can't just expect to stream and redo what you've been doing pre-COVID. You've got to take that tool set and go. What does it offer me? new and different that I couldn't have done on stage at Slim's. I, I will say this. I think the one issue I've had personally with live stream concerts has been that in essence, it's been a subpar experience to the actual show of what I would have gone and seen in person. I think one thing that I would like to see more of, and not saying I'm going to be the guy to do it. I've, I've Whoever listens to this podcast, hopefully someone has the financial means and say, go ahead, I'm going to do this myself. 
I'd like to see someone actually go in, in the, maybe more in the film oriented route of like really enhancing experience through crazy production. I don't mean just get some LED walls and have the artists going off on LED and fire cannons and all that sort of stuff. Actually get insane cameras, crop zoom, do whatever you have to do to make it actual cinematic experience in of itself. Because I think cinematically it's been kind of boring sometimes. It's just, you know, camera pans. You're, 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 you're hundred percent right. And, and, and I think back to the experience topic here, what, what really came out of the, the, the kiss live stream for me was, the excitement at a concert isn't from the band on the stage. The excitement is from the crowd going nuts and cheering. And I think we can all relate to whoever your artist is. A lot of the, the experience of the show is hanging out in the lobby, walking the concourse area, running into people, making new friends, who's sitting behind you, who's in front of you, who's next to you, that all of a sudden they're now new friends of yours you're all there for the same reason to see a band but yeah. that experience is missing yeah and and is there a way somebody can innovate live streaming to bring that back and jay i can't remember it was a past guest we had that was working on the ability for fans who were watching a live stream that instead of just like on facebook where you hit the thumbs up button and you know the little icon comes up you actually hit an applause button and it makes an applause sound that the the artist can hear on stage and the rest of the 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 viewers online hear this applause so now all of a sudden you as a fan are able to contribute actual energy to a performance yeah you know? Yeah. One of the things I saw that I thought was really cool in that regard was uh, some of these performances where you have four squares and each one has a different artist in it. One artist will play a song, the other artist will applaud and talk, and then it goes to the next one. It's kind of like a in the round or guitar pull kind of thing. And what I loved about that was you've, you're watching, you know, four artists on the screen, but one is playing at a time. And there's that feedback. And that's the problem. The, the, the broadcasts that I see that I don't like are the ones where someone's sitting in their living room and their cat walks in front of the screen or whatever. That's not rock and roll. You know, that's not, it's not what I want to see. Sure. I want it to sound good. I want it to look good. And I've seen some innovations where bands have done what Michael described, where they're in a rehearsal studio and at least it's lit well, or they're facing each other and the cameras going around them, or it's really more of a, an experience like that. But I think that interactivity is really important to have if you have somebody who's moderating that can ask the band questions or you can ask them questions or you can interact with them or like I mentioned where you have several artists on at the same time but look this stuff's been around you know like a week and a half we're all learning how to use these and get better at it but I think if we can take some of these skills with us as COVID melts away we're all going to do much better I think. I think also for me, what I would like to see more of is less of the promoter mindset of a, what a show should be. And like, oh, well, we need to put them in a room with yep. the wall, LED wall and the stage and the amps and everything and make you a concert. No, I'd rather see a short film. I'd rather see someone actually come in and actually write a script of narration that artists, the artists are actors 
And then they're actually like moving scenes and performing in different scenes and scenarios, almost like a high school musical, but let's say it was like for any other genre. I think Machine Gun Kelly recently tried something similar with like his short film for his like new album, which was kind of cool to me. You know, they had a lot of artists that are even up and coming on it. One of them that just signed to like an Interscope joint venture called Immersive and he's crushing it. I'd like to see more stuff like that. Like put an, like, you know, when, when I, even when I watch sports, I don't really watch, I'm not watching a live stream of the show. I'm watching a bunch of dudes in the background talk about what they well, think of what's going on. Know, game, to, to, you know? to, to that point, I mean, <laughs> you know, watching NFL, that's great, but I always loved it when they would cut to a two minute segment of some NFL films yeah. special that they filmed behind the scenes. Like one of the most recent ones, I think it was on the Super Bowl, was here's how the guy, here's how the NFL creates crowd noise at the show. That was so fascinating. And it was it was only like a minute and a half, two minutes long. And and NFL films, we know, has won multiple awards for their production work. They yeah. really know how to do it. Yes, to your, your your point, Karen, I would love to see more of that. I, I worked with um, a band out of the 80s that recently released another album. They were called Every Mother's Nightmare. Yeah. And they had a live stream, but the live stream was a mini half-hour documentary of making the album. It yeah. wasn't them playing the songs from the album. Yeah, It was the document. It's like, okay, here they are in the studio. He's in the vocal yeah. booth. There's the mixing Love board. That. They're talking yeah. to the, the producer. They're talking to the engineer. And it's like, that yeah. was captivating. People that love to see how the sausage is made. Yo, I'll tell you this. To that point, there's a metal band, Bring Me the Horizon, that when COVID hit, they did a web series on their YouTube channel of them making a new EP. And Beautiful. I mean, they're arguably like they're probably one of the biggest metal bands right now, in my opinion. But I, I was never a big fan of them. Like, I, I appreciated their music, but I never felt so attached. Like, I need this record. I'm so excited for their new album. That was never me. But when COVID first hit and I had a lot of free time, I'd be on YouTube and every day the new episode would come up, right? And I kept watching it, I kept watching it, kept watching it. And to be honest with you, I loved what they were making it. I loved the personalities in it. It wasn't, it wasn't too long. It was like five minutes each episode. By the time they, they were done with that web series, I was so ready for that project to drop because I, I grew attached to it in a lot of and, ways. And, and you know what? What you just described there is the basic concept of, of social media of people want to connect with you, the person, before your product. Yeah. They want to buy you, the, the artist, before they buy your CD. And that, what they did for you is a, is a successful example of that. You went in not being a fan. Yeah. You got captivated by who they were and connecting to them as people that yeah. when it was all done, you were a fan. But I got to tell you this, that record, streaming-wise, I think has done some of their best numbers they've had in a while. I'll check it out. And it's super funny because they were a band that started off extreme metal, like screaming, like and just going nuts. And they became a pop rock band through over time. And if you listen to their album before, it was it was not metal at all. There was very little metal to do with it besides like one, one a few songs. 
And this album was actually back to the roots. Like, I'm going extreme on this one. We're going to scream. This is going to be a revival of like what Linkin Park was doing, you know, like straight up metal. And it did better than their most mainstream oriented project. You know, <laughs> I think uh, partially because of what, how they marketed it, how they released it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very forward thinking record. And I think it came in the right time, but it just shows that I think like, we have so much tools now to utilize that I think we never considered yeah. before, especially like in a genre like that, metal and rock. Let's be honest, we're typically very neglectful of how to, a release plan can go. And I think we've, I think rock especially suffers from like the album cycle model still being a thing. The idea that my release plan should be long in three, four months. Whereas this in reality was like, all these episodes for so many, so much time, a couple hit singles, and then they announced the album within a week and it dropped the next week. Yeah. 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 It, it was a way more accelerated uh, plan, in my opinion. And, yeah. Well, well, Cameron, tell us about um, how can people find you, um, whether it's online, through socials, learn more about inertia. What are the things you're working on that people can learn about? Yeah. I mean, my social media is it's almasi i-t-s-a-l-m-a-s-i on instagram uh linkedin you can just find me as cameron almasi c-a-m-e-r-l-m-a-l-m-a-s-i um currently just working on you know my clients when covid hit i was lucky because like before my priority was live always um i think management was secondary i got lucked out i did a festival with young thug as like a partner on it one of the artists he had booked was about to get signed to Def Jam and needed a manager and hit me up. I became his manager and had him for on the side while I did my, while I was trying to continue building a festival and concert business. Um, luckily, when I had that because like, you know, when COVID pivot all the way there, I realized I should probably sign a couple more acts and develop them for the next year or so. Um, and it's, it's been inspiring because like during such a crazy time, you know, so much has changed. Like, I think like a year ago, even like TikTok for as of wasn't such a necessity. Like it was breaking yeah. couple records, but it wasn't like the thing that everyone was looking at to break a record. Yeah. Um, now it's like a platform that we're all learning, trying to learn and utilize to its fullest. And, you know, um, I'm here. I am trying to learn how to develop my artists here and here out. And luckily, like we're at a time now where a lot of them are finally getting reached out by labels and getting offers. And so, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we like to joke around that, you know, the music industry has changed while we've been having this discussion. So, you know, it's evolving, it's changing, there's so many new tools to use. And it sounds like you're open to those tools, you're using those tools, you're experimenting with things, some of the things will carry on post pandemic, some of them won't. But uh, it's a whole new business now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, if we got a good time, I'll tell you a quick story. I started off my my entry point to the industry working in metal and hardcore bands, right? Um, and long story short, I, I, I was pretty good at it. It was the genre I listened to for probably most of my life, you know, with hip-hop being number two. And in 2015, I hit a string of, like, events that just – I lost money back to back to back. And I just noticed, like, 
the people that were my age stopped going to the show. So I was 18 at the time. And I just realized less and less young people are going. To, it seems like the crowd's a bit more of the older dudes that mm-hmm. have been in it for a little too long, never evolved out of their sound. And I remember my, if you know, Skyline, you know, throughout the Bay sure. Area, my, my ex-girlfriend drove me up there. She was huge into electronic music. She was me, uh, her, uh, her best friend's older brother, who was a DJ named Getter, who was signed to... Uh, Skrillex's record label at the time, Alsa. And she was like, listen, he's just like you. He loves this type of music, but he found a new way to do it. Electronic music was a more modern way for him to do it. And it hit me at the time because I realized, yeah, like there's, I went into that scene fully and eventually realized a lot of these people like the same music I do. They just realized there's a newer way to do it that's more creative, more inspiring, more intriguing, more people like it. Uh, it's, you know, got more young fan base. And I've always, after that, I always try to keep my mind to find what I like, what matches my values, but is the next thing for it. So like hip hop, now we see artists like Ghost Mane and Suicide Boys and so many of these rappers that really are metal acts at the core. They are truly a metal artist but they found a newer way to do it. They did it with trap music. And with that being said, like I, it, that, that whole mindset has helped me kind of realize that like, you know, even with rock bands, there's so many ways we could have released records, like doing the singles model more often. We could have done, you know, week, two week campaigns instead of these month long campaigns to promote a track. And it's, I've been able to come into play now with a lot of bands that like, I've been a fan of and just bring these ideas that they, they haven't even seen because their entire industry is still stuck on the ways it's been for like the last 10, 20 years. You know, I have friends of mine that are in bands that did billboard charts and they're, they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to put out a record. We're going to tour for two years and we're going to come back to another record. I'm like, that doesn't work today, especially with Spotify. Um, yeah. It's been, yeah. it's been inspiring to come in now and just like have this open mind to like adapt to new ways and always yeah. have new things. I think that is absolutely true. And I think that's a good way to uh, wrap up. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us. We could talk to you all day long. <laughs> I, 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 I love your passion, Cameron. I love it. it. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. All right, brother. Thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it, man. Bye-bye. Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Uh, great, like I said, great passion with Cameron. I, I, love, I love his energy. And, you know, the, the big takeaway for me from this conversation was he really nailed it on the head of you don't need to go find something brand new. You don't yeah. need to find a, 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 an a create a brand new app, a brand new website, mm-hmm. look at what you've already been using. Go look at, I mean, here, I mean, people love, hate Facebook, but go look at Facebook and look at what you haven't been using on Facebook and see if there's a way to utilize that. Exactly. I mean, we, you yeah. know, all Facebook, all of these platforms are constantly rolling out new features, changing old features, enhancing things. And just look at that and go, oh, wait a second. They did something new with the events feature on Facebook that we could utilize to promote this, to do that, to, you know, same with bands in town and everything, you know, go back and look at these platforms that you 
been using for one function only and see what the other 12 functions are that you could start utilizing. Yeah, that was my takeaway too, is that you don't necessarily have to build some new platform. You don't necessarily have to experiment with a lot of new unproven things. There's a lot of tools out that we know work and, that, and you should also rediscover some of these old tools that maybe you're neglecting and you're not spending enough time with. Yeah, and, 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 and the final bit here is no matter what that tool is, it's, it's about creating engagement. Absolutely. You know, and we've beaten that word to death over the last 20 years, but it is still so crucial. It is. The experience of your fans at the event, whether it's a concert, a live stream, a chat, whatever it is, how do you enhance and create that engagement experience between the viewers, your fans, and you, and yeah. amongst the fans themselves? Because a lot of times you'll really get lucky and you don't even need to engage with your fans because they've gotten so deep in engaging amongst themselves that you can just sit back and let yeah. them keep things alive. Let's hope you have that problem. Yeah, it's a great problem to have, but I think too many, and we see this, Jay, too many people are just like, I'm just getting on, turning the camera on, and I'm playing the song. Thank you, good night, and you leave. It's yeah. like, no, this, you're, not, you're not Madison Square Garden where thank you, good night, jump in a limo and leave. How do you yeah. keep that engagement? Have going? the chat open, respond to those people. One area that I feel that some artists don't spend enough time with is just responding in a reasonable amount of time to fans that reach out to them via direct message or via their socials, their comments being made on YouTube, their comments on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there are, you need to answer those questions. You need to engage with those people because it's a big deal. Um, and share things that people post about you. And I'm telling you, you engage with your audience on that level, they're going to tell their friends about you. I, I've said this for so many years. The number one thing your fan wants is recognition for being 100%. your fan. Yep. They, they don't want free tickets. They don't want free music. They don't want free t-shirts. They want their absolute favorite artists that they idolize to recognize them as yep. the fan. And that can be done as simple as clicking the like button, clicking the yep. heart button. You don't even need to get into detailed conversations. If you want to go for it, but I know a lot of you don't want to start conversing with your fans. Just share it. Just like it. Yep. Just because they're going to get the recognition that says, Oh my God, my favorite artist, Jay Gilbert just liked my tweet. It's a big deal. He's, yeah, and you, I've seen this. You've seen this, Jay. When you when you have an artist that does that, and the fan then sends out a tweet that says, "Oh my God, Jay Gilbert just liked my tweet. I am the happiest person in the world right now." Yeah. How much work did that take? I mean, it's happened to me where I've said something about one of my favorite artists online, and they've responded. Um, it happened to you know when you and I were talking. Um, a year or two ago about Lynn Goldsmith and her photography and kiss and people using her images. And I had reached out to her just to offer my support. She responded. It was super cool. 
you know, yeah. you, you don't forget that. It's no, really no, I, 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 exactly. That's that's so easy to do. That doesn't need COVID, no COVID. That doesn't need lives. That's just what you've got to do. Recognize your fans. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, just a quick shout out to Hypebot and Bands in Town. Thank you so much for your support. And of course, Bandzoogle and Disc Makers for yep. sponsoring the show week in and week out. We appreciate um, it. If you are watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, follow us. If you're on iTunes, subscribe. It means a lot to us when you guys follow us and, and leave comments. We, we read them. Um, that's it, everybody. Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>